You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McClinton. And Wade, just to switch things up today, I've actually been replaced by somebody completely different. I have the same name and the same voice, but totally different person. I just felt like keeping things a little fresh. Oh, wow. Okay, Kevin. Well, given that and the movie we're discussing today, I guess an app question would be, uh, who's your daddy? Well, we can't really do any better than Anthony Hopkins, can we? I mean, he is he is everybody's daddy. <laughs> Listeners, today we are going to be discussing the new film from Florian Zeller, The Father. We'll also be announcing the two winners of the book giveaway that we've recently been running on our Patreon, so stay tuned for that on this episode of Seeing and Believing. Do you know, I give everything I own for a glass of whiskey, don't you agree? Well, I don't own all that much, so... (laughs) Oh, really? What do you do for a living? Um, I look after other people. Other people? Hmm. Yeah, my job is to help people who need help. (laughs) Oh. Sounds like one of those girls you're always trying to dump off a maid here. Must be a difficult job, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, spending all day with one of those... I mean, I couldn't stand it. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) What about you? What did you do for a living? Oh, I was a dancer. Were you? Yes. Dad? What? You're an engineer. What do you know about it? Yes, tap dancing was my specialty. Really? You seem surprised. Yeah, a little bit. Why, don't you believe me? Or you find that difficult to imagine? <laughs> of course, it's just, I've, I've always loved tap dancing. You really? Wow, I'm still great at it. I'll show you. Hey! <laughs> 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 Jolly good. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Sorry. Sorry. I know, I know who she reminds me of. Who? It's Lucy, Lucy, when she was younger. Lucy? Yeah, my other daughter. <laughs> That's right. There's a resemblance, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yes. Her unbearable habit of laughing inanely. I had you there, didn't I? Listeners, this is episode 286 of Seeing and Believing. We've got a couple things to get to before we hop into our review of the Academy Award-nominated film, The Father. Kevin, first up, uh, i got to offer, I guess, a correction from last week. We reviewed Godzilla vs. Kong. We both liked the movie. And during the course of that review, I was describing... The radiation that comes out of Godzilla's mouth, and I, I don't remember what I called it. I called it maybe a blue fire beam. And our podcast producer, Jonathan, let me know that it's called Atomic Breath. And I guess I should have known that, but for some reason, it just didn't come to me in the moment. Yeah, I'm glad that we... Have the ability to issue that correction because I, I have to say over in the seeing and believing Slack the the shame was oh, yeah. really it was intense it was intense and and rightly so uh, both for both of us you know mm-hmm. you made the mistake but I did not call you out on it so the fault is both of us really <laughs> well it led me to repentance so that was uh, atomic <laughs> atomic breath for all of our big. Godzilla fans out there. We're also giving away a book. So our friends, Cody Benjamin and Chris Hayes have written a book called Why We Need the Movies, especially in a post-pandemic world of screens, 
streams and smartphones, and they're going to send two books out to a couple of our Patreon members. When you become a supporter of Seeing and Believing, we try to give you some perks, including giveaways like this. So we're going to announce those names in just a moment. But we got a number of Patreon tiers, Kevin, and one of our favorites. And if you're part of this tier, you are eligible for giveaways. It's the what can you buy for $5 level. What could someone hypothetically buy for $5, Kevin? Uh, $5 would buy you a mystical whistle that can summon a monster that will either help you defeat your enemies or turn on you and devour you whole. Mm. So... Yeah. I mean, that's that's probably why it's marked down. It's a little yeah. bit unpredictable there. Well, it's a 50-50 shot. You defeat your enemies, 50%. It turns on you, 50%. I mean, that's not bad. The I odds mean, aren't bad. E- either way, you don't have to worry about your enemies anymore. So I guess <laughs> in that sense, it, it solves the problem hmm. either way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Listeners, hop on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Once again, we're giving away the book from Cody Benjamin and Chris Hayes, Why We Need the Movies. And they talk about theaters and really where they find themselves at this point in history. They've survived world wars, stock market crashes, box office bombs, but can they survive a global pandemic? I appreciated Benjamin. He actually interviewed me and uh, some of my thoughts are in the book. So listeners, uh, you can check that out. Our winners, I guess we could do a drum roll. I don't know. Maybe we'll just announce it. But Andrew Bodenbach and Daniel Orris, two Patreon supporters uh, who have supported us for a little while. I I know that Andrew has been a supporter for a number of years, since May 2018. Daniel has supported us since actually February 2021. So uh, whatever your donation level, you were actually eligible for this, and we pulled these two names out. So Daniel and Andrew, I got Andrew's address. Daniel, shoot us your address, and we'll get you these books here soon. Uh, hopefully, Kevin, we can give more stuff away like this. I, I love these movie-centric uh, works that we can give away to our supporters. Yeah, I mean, we, we say it a lot on the show, but we really do just appreciate everyone who's uh, a Patreon supporter. It's just, it, it it not only helps us kind of keep the show going from you know a, a fiscal perspective, but also just kind of, it's nice to have people believe us, believe in us and support us. And we like to, you know, kind of give back to, to you guys when we can. So thanks so much for your support and thank you to andrew and daniel for participating the the books will be in the mail shortly yes the books will be in the mail here soon we're going to go ahead and hop into our discussion we're talking about the father from director florian zeller and kevin i feel like we have you know we've discussed in some way Almost every single Academy Award Best Picture nominee. We have not talked about Promising Young Woman and we haven't talked about The Father. We're going to rectify The Father today. To give you a brief synopsis of the movie, this story follows a man who refuses all assistance from his daughter as he begins to age. 
as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he soon begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of reality. We mentioned it in the introduction. Anthony Hopkins is in this movie, a treasure that we need to, I think, appreciate now because we won't always have him around. And Olivia Coleman also stars. Kevin, I'll be honest, uh, I... I hadn't sought out this film earlier because I figured it would be one of those straightforward and even depressing pictures about dementia. And while this is an emotional tale, I appreciated the POV-centric focus of the movie, which leads to some unusual choices and I think some mystery and intrigue within this story. So to get us started, I want to ask you about that. I mentioned this POV-centric focus. How did that work for you? And did you find it more effective than, I don't know, say a more traditional story? I did. I I like this film quite a bit, and that subjective point of view that you you mentioned that this film takes, where we we see uh, most of the film uh, through uh, Hopkins' character's eyes, and and this, this character we should mention is also named Anthony. So there's kind of a a little bit of a, a metafictional quality to to that as well that. Um, the actor and the character have the have the same name, and apparently this is a change from the the stage play original where the the protagonist name I think was Andre. So definitely intentional on Zeller's part in translating his work to the screen. But what I think is most interesting about this film is the way that he translates it to screen. Um, makes use of the possibilities of the cinematic medium to bring across that subjective point of view in ways that wouldn't really be possible in uh, in a theatrical production. And that's what I really found very uh, transfixing about this film as it went on, was just all the different ways that Seller uses uh, editing and camera movement you know what the camera shows, what it doesn't show, and uh, the the production design to really suggest a, a person who uh, is beginning to uh, who can't trust his own perceptions, and over time comes to realize that he can't trust his own perceptions, but is sort of powerless to find a way to uh, to work against that. So I, I think that this. It, for me, I guess I was a little bit like you, Wade, where I was I was reluctant to watch The Father at first because I was thinking, you know, it's another it's another stage to screen adaptation. Those can be uh, can have a tendency to be kind of stuffy, a little bit, you know, the the old cliches that they're they're stage bound, right? Like they don't feel cinematic because they're written to be played in a single physical location. And so I, I was kind of, you know, dragging my heels on this too, but I think Zeller really uses uh, the possibilities of the film medium to make this come alive in unique and fascinating ways. Yeah, yeah. And I I actually enjoyed going into this movie, not really knowing much about it and being surprised. And so if our listeners want to do that, we are going to share a couple of details about the movie. One of those details, uh, so just be aware of that. One of those details is that uh, Anthony Hopkins' character 
talks to individuals uh, that he, an individual he thinks is his daughter, and then he talks to someone else who also says that she's also his daughter. So there are two kind of actors playing what we think is the same character. It's not completely clear, but that's part of the POV-centric focus of, okay, is someone playing a trick on him? Is this a caretaker posing as his daughter? Is it really his daughter and he just can't remember her? What's kind of going on? And I think doing that is just a, it, it's a fine way to tell this story. So you've got those aspects of the movie, the story, the cast, which reinforces this POV. And we'll probably get into more details. But what you mentioned, Kevin, that I love so much is that this is a movie that uses the film film medium to to further reinforce what's going on. So it's not just through cast, it's not just through the story, but also the camera work. And what I noticed uh, so much about this movie is is the way the apartment um, that Anthony finds himself in uh, plays such a how it plays such a pivotal role here. And when we first see the apartment, it really is immaculate. It's ordered. It's filled with beautiful works of art. And it really stands in contrast to this character's mind. It's almost this idealized version of his mind. But I, man, I, I swear this, this apartment changes over time and little things change. And I'm not exactly sure if paint color changed or layout changed or doors changed, I just know things are kind of happening with each shot, but it's so subtle to where you, you just, you, you feel, uh, you feel like you're, you're bouncing off up and down in a wave. And I think that does a good job of, of reinforcing Hopkins's character. And I also, uh, realize too that the film is playing with the layout of the house and i think sort of naturally uh as you're watching a film if it's filmed right you kind of get this sense of 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 rooms the way they're laid out if you spend a lot of time in a home in a movie you kind of get to know where the hallways are maybe some bedrooms and you're internalizing this floor plan whether you realize it or not and that's why editing is so important and sh- and shot choice is so important because if you shoot from the wrong angles in our minds we're like well the door's here and that shot and then it's here and it's just kind of confusing and this movie actually uses a confusing layout uh to confuse us as an audience and to put us into that character. And there's, there's one scene where the father is, he's in the kitchen for the first time and he hears something and he sees a door. And and I realize something that normally in a movie like this, you know, where the door is, where the door is going, uh, because there's this tension that's created. Okay. What's behind that door? Uh, you've been in the house for a while, but here we don't know where the door is headed towards. We don't know where he's going to go because we haven't, we haven't been given that information. We haven't been given that layout. And it just really kind of further reinforces the confusion and the perspective of Hopkins's character. And I love how the movie does that really just kind of throughout this whole story. Yeah. The, it's funny you, you mentioned that because when the film was in its early going, I was actually really keyed into the geography of this apartment because I, I was getting the sense, okay, this is going to be primarily shot in the single location. I really want to, to pay attention to 
like you like you were saying the the angles the the shot choices the camera placement to see if Zeller actually succeeds at creating a a discernible space that is consistent from scene to scene so that we feel very rooted in this physical space and as the film went on i was noticing well, wait a minute it i feel like wasn't didn't that doorway go through here and and wasn't there you know, uh, a room between the the sitting room and the kitchen. Like, what's going on here? And what you know, weren't the cabinets a different color? And at first, that that I was beginning to wonder. Okay, is, are is this some some laziness, or, or am I not just um, being observant enough? And then I kind of realized, oh, this is what Zeller is doing. And I think it's really it's a really wonderful thing that again. In a stage play, you know, there there are might be set changes, but when you're sitting and watching it, you have plenty of time to really like take in the entire environment just at a glance because it's all out there on stage with you. With a film, you know, you, you kind of, you know, what's on screen at any given time is what you're focused on and everything else is kind of recedes into the background and you just try to hold it in your mind for when we go to that part of the apartment. And in that way, Zeller kind of puts us in Hopkins place, uh, in, in a much more elegant way than just sort of, you know, having a point of view shot where we follow him from room to room or a tracking shot. He, he uses this strange quality of, of, editing and what we're seeing from moment to moment to put us in that headspace. And it ends up creating this really fascinating picture of a man who that like the, he, he still is really, he's still aware of kind of the general architecture of his life, the people around him, the, the environment that he's in, the possessions that he has, he still kind of retains a, a vague impression of those things. But as he goes on, things get a little bit slippery. They get a little bit fuzzy and it's never entirely clear. Well, is he just forgetting things or was the original way that he's kind of remembering them? Was was that unreliable? And in reality, uh, things are, are totally different. It's just that, that slippery quality that I think makes the father such a, such an engaging experience to watch. And also, as the film goes on, uh, a very, very touching, very sad film as you, and, and almost like a horror film in some ways, just as you really identify with Anthony and realize that, oh, he, he's just, he's kind of losing everything bit by bit. And we're kind of along for the ride with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate too how this is a movie where, Oh, it's just, there's so much to unpack because we're really not sure which scenes to trust and we're not sure whether he's not remembering something like he should or uh, he's not remembering something properly or someone is tricking him or attempting to hurt him or deceive him. And you can in a sense, sort of feel that fear from his character because he could easily just go along with what they say. Okay. Oh, uh, I'm your daughter. He knows he's, he's losing his memory. So he could just say, Oh, okay. And, and just kind of fake it. And there are some scenes where he does. And then other scenes where he's just, he's just not sure 
what to make of the scene and the scenario. And there's this, there's mystery, there's this intrigue where we're trying to figure out, okay, like what's, like what's really going on here? What's really happening? How many memories are cascading together? Is he remembering something from 20 years ago and it's mixing with a memory from today? And that is just, I find it so powerful and so emotion and uh, so emotional. And I mean, it all, it all also just kind of rests on Hopkins's shoulders and he is so good here. He's, he's charming. He's stubborn. At times he could be ruthless. He gives this powerful speech when this new caretaker visits and he can, he can be so pleasant and then also so infuriating. And I just, love the way that he played out this role. He's an incredibly likable character. He's a character we could relate to, but he's also a character uh, that can sometimes uh, irritate us from time to time. It's interesting that you you refer to him as likable because by the end of the film, you do really feel for him and sympathize with him. But when the film opens, he's kind of he, he's kind of an awful person. Just the way he he speaks to uh, Olivia Coleman's uh, character, the what, the subtle ways that he um, insensitively uh, betrays the fact that he always favored her sister over over her, the the subtle digs that he gets in uh, at her expense, and. I think that's, again, one of the interesting slippery reality things that Zeller is doing with with his directing is and also with Hopkins performance, the way he shapes uh, Hopkins's acting is uh, it, it's almost like the self image that Anthony has of himself like is uh, is is shifting over time. He he starts off thinking of himself in a certain way and that affects his behavior towards the end of the film he he's losing his grip on some things and that doesn't just change you know how he's remembering and interacting with others it just changes his personality as well and that's a really interesting uh note to bring out in the performances i do think though for all the credit that we're giving to hopkins I might think I might say that my favorite performances actually come from the two Olivias in this film. Olivia Coleman, uh, I mean, I've been a huge fan of hers for a really long, long time. Um, and there's this this one scene. It's the same one that you're talking about, where a caretaker comes to interview for a job, and Hopkins kind of goes off on this monologue in which he really he wounds uh, his daughter deeply uh during that speech and coleman's performance in that moment is just just so it's not overly demonstrative but it's just heartbreaking all the same as you see that she really wants to help him but he's also just hurting her in ways that she is very vulnerable to it's just a a wonderful moment and a great performance i think olivia williams might even be my favorite in the entire film though because She's kind of the most mysterious of the of of the entire cast because she plays her character fills a couple of different roles over the course of the story. And I don't want to give away too much because the mystery is kind of part of the experience of watching the film, but Williams is kind of 
obliged to change the person that she's playing, even though she's she looks exactly the same. She has it's not like there's any makeup tricks or anything, but she has to just make subtle changes in her vocal inflections, in the way that she responds to other characters that that really create a whole different person, even though it's never really made explicit because we're just seeing her through Anthony's eyes. It's a really subtle, really wonderful performance. Yeah, and there's an exchange. It's so it's so quick, you might miss it. That's one of my favorites of the film. Uh, Coleman and Hopkins are in an elevator, and he looks at her and he says, what have you done to your hair? And you think... He's going to uh, he's going to make fun of her or say something degrading, and he says it's looking good, and she just lights up, and it's this great exchange and moments like this where you see that just humanity sort of just bubble up, and I think that goes back to one of the reasons why I appreciate this movie so much is that it. It chronicles the difficulty of growing old and losing your memory. And there are some, there are some harrowing scenes. You, you said horror at first. There are some harrowing scenes. And yet, it's not one of those movies where, oh, there's, there's almost no reason for these individuals to live. Instead, we see little flashes of beauty. Their life is still so important, and it's important for us to take care of these people. And it's such a sacrifice, um, and it's it's not easy. Um, but there's beauty there. At the end of the movie, one character is is talking about the weather, weather and going on a walk, and says it's never it never lasts long when the weather's like this. And it's just a great moment in the in the film where this character is saying, you, you and I can still go on a walk and we can still enjoy the weather, whether you remember y- your entire history or not. There's a, mo- there, there's a moment where you can just kind of enjoy yourself. It doesn't always last long, just like our lives. Uh, even if we live long lives, they're still not long in the grand scope of history. Um, but there's beauty there and we can take advantage of that. And that just feels so humane. And, and as Christians, you know, we talk a lot about the sanctity of life. And I love a movie like this because it takes that to the end of a person's life. And uh, I just, I found that really touching. Yeah, that, that last scene, you know, in a movie like this, you kind of as it goes on, you're like, okay, there's going to be a final scene, and it's just going to really just go for the go for the heartstrings, right? It's really just going to try to play your emotions like a piano. So, or at least that's how, you know kind of how I was feeling watching this. I was sort of stealing myself for that last scene, going like, okay, there, he, he's going to go for it. I, I got notes coming. You know, it's not going to catch me off guard, and it both did and it didn't. I, I was, I definitely was right that. It goes for the heartstrings, but I wasn't protected against it in the way that I thought I was. Maybe it's a really, uh, it's it's a very tender, sad scene that that the the film closes on, and it really I it put me in mind of that uh, verse from Job where you know Job is 
you know, just lost everything. And he says, you know, naked, I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave it paraphrasing. And that really feels almost like a, it could be the thesis statement for this film that, that, um, we Hopkins's character is not going to have much left to, to him, uh, here at the end, but yet there's still, there are still people around to offer him solace and they're still going outside on the walk. And that's still something that, that can be done. And there's that, that final shot that really underlines that. So it's, it is sad, but it's not a despairing ending. It's not that I, you know, you think of a movie like, uh, Michael Haneke's, uh, Amour, which is just, man, that is just a gut punch of a movie. That's also about, you know, end of life issues and, and, the heartbreaking things that can that can happen as as uh, a person grows old and you know begins to to uh, drift away, and whereas that movie is just so harrowing and bleak, even in its ending, I felt I found a lot more hope in in the ending here, even if it is it still is tremendously sad. But there's there's more than just well you know life is life is really hard at the end. It's mm-hmm. it's got more to offer than that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I do agree. And when when I saw the end, it goes to a similar place, a, a locale, uh, as the Irishman. They both end up in in a nursing home. That's that's where the final scenes are. And yet, one speaks to the Irishman speaks to alienation from family, uh, whereas this one wonders if. Those relationships might sustain us even in these uh, difficult circumstances, and so uh, yeah, I I saw this film and I said, you know, I'm, I I can see why it's nominated as a best picture uh, nominee, and and I'm I'm glad it was nominated. I, I thought it was it was well done, listeners. That is our review of the father. It's currently playing in limited release. It's also available to rent digitally. So. If you have a chance to see it, let us know what you think. You can tweet us, cbelievepod, cbelievepod on Twitter. You can also email us, seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the end of our show. At this point, we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend this week? Well, I was thinking about uh, stage-to-screen adaptations, I guess, and trying to think about you know what other really um, good movies have been made uh, out of stage plays. And, uh, you know, there's there's the, the usual suspects. You know, there's there's Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. There's Arsenic and Old Lace. There's all, like, I, I kind of went through a whole bunch of them. And I was like, yeah, but those are kind of, I, I think I've, I've probably even recommended them earlier on the show. And, you know, everybody's kind of heard of them already. So I was trying to come up with something a little bit more off the beaten track. And I came up with uh, the 2010 film Rabbit Hole. This is a uh, an adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize winning play by David Lindsay Abair. Um, it's directed by John Cameron Mitchell, who uh, also uh, directed uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, another stage to screen adaptation. But this is, uh, you know, it's another one of these uh, family dramas that uh, is kind of about a a deep. Uh, wound at its core. It's about a married couple, uh, Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart, uh, who are trying to kind of move past the accidental death 
of their young son and you know the the different ways that grief keeps bubbling up in their lives and driving wedges into their relationships and the differing ways that they they seek to cope with that and there's a, a young miles teller as well and i think it might have been one of his first uh major film roles as a, a teenager who also uh has uh, some involvement with the the death at the film center it's again you know it's one of these sad pictures but it's it's adapted quite well i think by mitchell and just the i i think again he finds some interesting ways to use the camera and the editing to move beyond just uh dialogue heavy scenes of people talking to each other and really seek to put the audience more into uh the headspace of its characters so i i think it's it's another one of these tougher watches but it's very good uh rabbit hole from 2010 you know i haven't seen the movie but i had i had rented it or reserved it from netflix it was back whenever i did the netflix mail-in dvds and i had it and it was you know it's it's one of those you got to be in the right mood to watch and so it was just kind of sat there sat there sat there and then eventually i I turned it back in uh but i i do need to do need to get it uh and and check it out so i am going uh, with a little bit a lighter recommendation this is it's kind of a halfway recommendation but i think it's a film the people are ready to hear about there is a movie kevin currently streaming on netflix where a young man goes to a Christian youth camp and this movie is made in the same vein as something like Camp Rock or High School Musical. And the songs that are used in this movie come from a 90s Christian uh, CCM artist, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant. And it really is a sight to be seen. I spent seven summers working at a Christian youth camp. And of course, you know, growing up in church, heard all these CCM songs. And so it just kind of, it kind of hits you differently. There's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up here. I wouldn't say the film is made all that well, but it's a fascinating watch. And it's a fascinating way to to think about and maybe even for some of us interpret our uh, spiritual upbringing. Not that it necessarily lends us a lot of answers, but uh, it helps us to to come back to some moments, maybe some good moments, maybe some bad moments. Uh, and so that's currently streaming on Netflix. It's called A Week Away, directed by Roman White. If you grew up in Christian subculture and maybe you, you really liked high school musical back when you were in high school, uh, definitely check this film out and I'd love to hear our listeners' thoughts. Maybe tweet us or email us because, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, there was a, a thread in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum about this film where people kind of seem to have a, a similar experience to yours with it where they there's like, you know, it's... Yeah, they were halfway recommending it, I guess, to use your phrase. Like it, they they were enjoying the nostalgia trip of it, and you know, maybe saying you know it's not like necessarily going to set the world on fire in terms of its artistic value, but there's uh, a lot of fun to be had, especially if you grew up in that environment. So it definitely seems like uh, that's something this film has been uh, uh, bringing up for a lot of people. Yeah, well, and 
there there are actually some scenes uh, that are kind of touching and they tap into some of those emotional experiences that you have at camp and like i said uh you could say, oh, that was that was a great moment or oh, that was a manipulative moment or bad moment. Um, but you, but yeah, Rich Mullins, a Rich Mullins song does some heavy lifting in this uh, movie, which is fascinating because I love Rich Mullins. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely check it out, listeners. I was I was wondering, you know, we got some Patreon members out there, Kevin. I was wondering if any of them was going to they were going to have us review that film. Um, but it has not come across my desk yet. <laughs> Yeah, I know that we we're waiting, I think, for one of our patrons to uh, get us the movie that he wants us to review as one of the the perks for his uh, his donation level. So who knows? Maybe uh, <laughs> this film is in our near future. Although I guess since you've already seen it, I, I don't know. He might go for something else, but I have not seen it yet. Uh, so that might be the the thing to uh, light a fire under me to 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 check it out. Um, oh, but man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it could be. Maybe it could be a bonus content episode for for our uh, supporters. <laughs> hey, hey! Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Listeners, thank you for checking out this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer and atomic breath expert is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Beard, and my co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is seeing and believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.